What's going on, party people? Yeah, somebody had their coffee this morning. Y'all sound great. Y'all sound great. Hey, we've got a lot of people watching online. So if you guys with all that energy, welcome everybody watching online, church online platform, Facebook. We love you guys. Thank y'all for being here so much. Uh, my name is Carson. I'm the next generation pastor here, and Patty and Craig are out this week. They're actually in Italy with, the, with our daughter church serving. And they thank you guys so much for your prayers. The mission team leaves on Wednesday. So as we go out, please continue to pray for us as we, we minister to the people there. We love on our daughter church. It is, it's going to be a blast. Anybody just absolutely love the two days of winter that we got this week? Anybody? Anybody? All right. If you're not raising your hand, you had summer, okay? We need, I need the cold. This was not built for heat, please. Whatever prayers you're sending up for heat, Stop it. Just stop it. We, we need it. We need it gone. Uh, we have, we've been through this awesome series called The Real Real, and each week we've looked at something that has really been a pillar of who we are as, as Christians or maybe people that have been following Christ or you've never really experienced God before, and it's these different mentalities and different disciplines that if we put the real in our life, the R-E-A-L, it will change the way that we live. It will change the way we look at things, but a lot of us are living off of the real, the R-E-E-L, that just happens to be trending. We talked about God's will and free will. We talked about hypocrites. We talked about the Bible's authenticity. And we've talked about the power of greed in our lives. And today, we're going to look at a phrase that if you have not said this this week, I think you've probably said it more than you like to admit in your lifetime. And that is, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? And it really kind of focuses around this process we go to when we need comfort. So if you have a comfort food, maybe, maybe you have a comfort time of year, comfort clothing, right, whatever it is, my comfort is Shrek. Now, you may, you may not think Shrek, but Shrek, y'all, for me, it is always downloaded on my phone. It is always downloaded on every smart device that I have. When I am in the middle of chaos and life is just unraveling in front of me, that is my go-to. That is the thing I need to be able to survive life. For real, though. I pull up, and it's so annoying that I can watch the whole thing and quote the entire movie. From start to end with no subs, I just go. And so when you watch it with people, it's hilarious because one of two things will happen. They'll get mad at you because you're ruining it for them because they haven't seen it yet, or they'll look at you and say, one of the two have to go. You either need to mute the movie or you gotta be muted, right? And it's just this thing. But for me, in the midst of chaos, that is one of the comforts for me. And in the midst of all of our chaos, we just want comfort. That's your first fill in the blank. It's in the middle of chaos. In the midst of it, we want comfort. And you should take notes. I'm literally repping the brand. So please, note takers or history makers, take some notes today. It will change your life. And, and why do we want comfort? Because in the midst of chaos, whether it's something small in our world or major in our world or it affects all of us in this world, we have some processes as humans that we go through. The first thing is we just try to, we want answers. We want to know, okay, something bad happened in our family, happened in our friendships, our relationships. We just want an answer. Why did this happen? And then the next process we go to is we just want to help. We want to figure out why. We want to, we want to get to how we can help. How can I help you? What do you need? What can I do to give you the support you don't have right now? And then we, we try to make sense of it. And we, we, we start to put all the stuff out logically in our brains. Okay. This happened, this happened. Why would somebody want to attack this country? Why would somebody want to say that? Why would they say that about their neighbor just because of who they voted for or because of the way they dress or the way this is? Why would somebody do that? And then we get to the part as all of us as humans get to, which is we want someone to blame. 
we do. Regardless of it, how bad the thing was, we want someone to take the ownership of it. And there's a lot of things in our life that we place this blame to. Sometimes we place the blame on other people. Sometimes we place it on ourselves. Sometimes we just place it on the world. But a lot of us, a lot of us point to God and we say, why would you, God, have this bad thing happen to me? We say that about people. Why would this good person have something bad happen to them? And it's this process that we have to go to. And there's a lot of reels to talk about. One of my favorite ones I see is karma, right? Sneed Zen, bro. Sneed more positive, positive energy Zen. You just let all that negativity out. Just got to equal out your karma. Just equal out your karma. Then it, then it goes to where we vote or where we stand on issues, right? If I'm left or right, that, de- that determines how good I am and how bad other people are or why bad things are happening. Well, if you hadn't voted for this person, then we wouldn't have this. That's how we justify it sometimes. Sometimes we, we justify it with, with self-love and, and self-identification, our own truth, right? We own and name and claim things in our life that if we just had this, we'll be good enough to avoid the bad things, the suffering, the pain that comes with life. And then there's this other idea, which I don't know, if you still try this, I need to know whatever you're taking for it because I, I need to know if it's at all real. Uh, there's this idea of just, ah, I'll just be happy. And everything that happens, I'll just smile. I'll be happy through it. Nothing ever could hurt me. I am a stone wall of happiness. And it's not, it's not real. We can't do that. We have to process this. And so, If we're going to look at this phrase, why do bad things happen to good people? I think we need to break down some of the words in that phrasing. So I'm gonna give you guys two reels that the world and social media and culture is providing, and then I'm gonna give you three reels, R-E-A-Ls, to help you not fall into the mindset. So again, take notes, hope you guys are ready for this. Number one is, have you been good? Have you been good at one point or another, whether it was our parents, whether it was teachers, somebody asked it, have you been good? If you're a believer in Santa Claus, that's one of those things, right? Webster defines good as to be desired or approved of. A good quality of life having the qualities required for a particular role. Now, when I was in elementary school, I was not a good kid. I was a little ratchet and even a heathen, if we're going to be real honest about how I was, right? I was just not good. And I don't know why you would clap for that, but there's this moment where you're like happy, and and I I really didn't understand why how to be good and all those kind of things, and so I I kept getting out of school, kept getting kicked out, all these different things, and so the teachers came up with a great solution to track how good Carson was. It was perfect. They gave me this folder, and in this folder had all of the classes on it that I was taking for the week, and had a spot for each of the teachers to put a number. One, you don't want a lot of those. Or ten, I'll be real, I didn't get a lot of those either, right? Ten, right? I was really, it was a good day if I cracked out of the top five, right? So there was this moment where the teachers, I'd go through the class, I'd bring the book up, I'd walk up to them, I'd hand them the folder, and they would decide from how I acted, was I good? And on a scale of one to ten. And as a kid, I really didn't understand it. I knew it was kind of conditioning me to be able to be normal, work through different things. But what I think it really showed me as an adult is that we are going to continue to fail in life if you are letting people define good. If you are letting people in your life define good, because here's the thing, those teachers were so concerned and so convinced that there could be no change in me that there would be no way that I could ever be good. 
And we have that in our life. We, we have people that have been criticizing us from the moment we came here. We have people that because of our family name, because of where we come from, because they can't see the potential that we could have, they just write us off. And if you think that's not true, think about the people that you're still not forgiving years down the road. Think about the people that if they came up and told you you did a good job, you would be above and beyond just, you'd just like melt like a puddle in front of them. But usually it's the same person that carries the most criticism of us. And we've got to change our mindset from the fact that we are not good, but God is. So here's the reality, a little, little, little theology 201. This is the next step from 101. Romans 3, 3 22 to 24 says, It is God's righteousness made visible through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, and now all who believe in him receive that gift. That gift is grace, it's salvation. Long time ago, God made the heavens and the earth. He made everything in creation and said, it is good. Defined by him, he makes good things. And then Adam and Eve, because of their selfishness, decided to say, you know what? We've got a better understanding of the world, so they sinned. And the people of that world, the people of the Israelites, this back and forth, it wasn't really a relationship, and it really wasn't a good situation. So I think it's called like a situationship, right? We'll just call it like a situationship, where God and humans continued to try to figure something out until they just couldn't get it right. They couldn't figure it out. So God and Jesus have this conversation in heaven, and Jesus says, you know what? I love humanity too much. Dad, you love humanity too much. I'm going to go down, and I'm going to set the record straight. I'm going to go, and I'm going to give them a gift of grace so that even if they fail, because they will, because we're sinful, we're broken, it doesn't matter because I'm going to cover them every single time. I'm going to give them a new start every single day. If you make a mistake, guess what? The next day you're going to try better. That's that gift that Jesus gave us. And it says, for there is really no difference between us now, but independently of the law, the righteousness of God is tangible and brought to the light through Jesus, the anointed one. This is the righteousness that the scriptures prophesied would come. We are not good. None of us are. And that's a great thing because if we were good, then we would define the standards for others. Think about what you did in the last 24 hours. Now, you may be thinking, I didn't do that bad. Okay. And some of y'all are like, oh, man, not that. Don't bring that up. That was hard. It's a great thing that we do not define goodness. It's a great thing that God did, that his standard is use my love, my grace, my standard of living, and you will see greatness. And the reality is, is that we do good things in our world, whether we do good things in life, we do good things in our job, our family, and we like to stand on the middle of that stage of our world and look to creation and say, I am good. I am great. And we hold that. Man, it's basic human nature, but don't confuse your goodness with God's greatness. Check this out. Next fill in the blank. Don't mistake your goodness for God's greatness. It is his standard. It is his love. Servolution, serving in the local church, praying for somebody, choosing love in tough times, removing the pressure of being good, trying to work on your gossiping, your anger, your grace, your forgiveness, all of those possible things in your life cannot come to the full and amazing completion in your life unless Jesus is the source of where they come from. Because when you remove Jesus, it becomes, how good am I for me to give you something good? Instead, look how great Jesus is and look what he can do through someone like me. That's the phrasing. And the fact is, guys, only one good person ever suffered, and he volunteered for it. Only one good person, and we skip past this. We, we skip past the fact that it was Jesus who said, you can't meet the mark, and I don't want you to keep doing it by yourself. I'm gonna do it for you. 
I'm gonna make sure that you are not gonna have to struggle alone. And yet, so many of us are living our lives trying to make the critics that never loved you, that never cared about you, that want you to fail. We care more about letting them see us doing good things than we do to the God that's been the cheerleader for us even when we were so unlovable, we didn't love what we saw in the mirror. We, we, we care so much about what people who will never see who you can be. And you give them that to say, please define me. I, I beg of you, define me to be good. And it's not how God wants you to be. He wants you to say, you know what, God, you define what good is. You said it was good when your son came here, when you made the world, and I trust you to make greatness come out of me. In whatever your way looks like, I trust you, God. Y'all doing okay this morning? We good? We good? All right. Then number two. If God is so good, then why is there so much pain and suffering? If God is so good, why is there so much pain and suffering? This is one of those things we process in life and we try to figure out why is there pain, why is there suffering? Well, God isn't good. God can't be because he's mean. He, he creates things for us. But we talked about this in some earlier weeks. If you haven't watched, it's on YouTube, Facebook. When, when Pastor Craig talked about God's will and free will, that this world is Satan's. It's for him to run and, and, and use and trip us up because God has created something special for us. Not in my words, the Bible. 2 Corinthians, for you that are perishing, Satan is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And Paul is simply, when he writes this letter to Corinth, is simply just encouraging them from the words that Jesus left with his disciples in John 16, 33. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So straight from Jesus' mouth to his disciples, to the people that continued on that, that amazing charge of Christianity, he is trying to get us to believe that you can't expect this world to give you what Jesus can. And this is, this is difficult for a lot of us, but did anybody download the iOS 16 update? Just for real though, anybody? Okay, for all y'all that didn't yet, come on. Let's, if we all do it, they'll get the bugs out faster and it'll be running better. So just download it. And for y'all that don't have iPhones, we'll have special people down at the cross praying for you when the service is over. But I love this, I, I love this update because now there's widgets. And I know I'm young, but man, I didn't know what widgets were. And so it has this thing where it pop up like photos from my past. And it's so cool because it'll pop up. I open my phone and go, oh, not that photo, right? You're like, I don't want to see that one. And you keep swiping and you try to get something. But a photo popped up earlier this week of a bunch of friends of mine when we were doing this thing called the 48-Hour Film Festival. So in Memphis, for about a decade and a half, there was this awesome competition called the 48-Hour Film Festival. And what you would do is you would get the opportunity, you and your crew, to essentially get a topic, you'd get this, this style that you needed, maybe you'd get like the catchphrase or a prop, you'd get all of that, and then the people that were running the show would say, okay, go. And you would have 48 hours to make a short film. And you did everything, like you did the acting, the music, the sound, the writing, all of it. And you couldn't do any prep work because they may give you a style that you wrote an action movie, but it's needs to be like a noir or it needs to be a comedy, right? So you can't do any prep. And so it's like a bullet out of a gun. And when we did this together with friends, it was awesome because we were all doing different stuff. One time, I was just an extra reading a newspaper on the side of the road, had no speaking lines, right? Then the next time, I'm the boom guy holding the mic ever so close to the people but not being in the shot so we can make sure we get the audio. The next one, I'm, I'm the main character, but I still had no dialogue, so I think it was my friends telling me they don't want me to talk. And then we, we, we had another one where, where I was the guy behind the camera saying, action, we had all this. So for the first, like, 30 hours, Man, it's awesome because you're, it's, you're up all night, you're up all day, you're just going, going, going. 
And then everything hits this grinding halt when you have to address all of the things that have been made. All the sound, all the images, all the video. And it turns over to the editor. And the editor takes it into their room and they look at all of the content that you have. Everything you have done. And they try to take it and make it something that makes sense. And usually, that was not me because I'm not a good editor. But usually that's the moment where a lot of us that were on the cast, we get a little bit, you know, eh. You guys done yet? You, know, you got to knock on the door. Hey, y'all done? Okay, y'all are still working, right? Because in that moment, we loved when things were going fast and, and we were all in different roles and, and we were moving around. But it's the waiting time and the time when things get tough and the times where we have to wait on the editor to show us the final version that we get stressed out. And it's a lot like that in our faith because we love when Jesus is moving us in things. We love when we're in positions to talk to people or we're doing things. But man, we do not like it when we're in the middle of a storm and he says, hold up, wait a minute. You're going to be in this for a minute. He, he, we, we don't like it. We don't like the fact that God's editing room knows more than we do. And so many of us, because we forget this idea of pain and suffering, we do this. We don't just kindly look in. We kick the door down and say, get out of the chair, God. It's my turn. And we look at everything in our life. We look at every small, tiny detail, and we try to piece it together. And instead of it being the greatest film that could inspire somebody to see what Jesus can do through you, it becomes the worst thing ever because you can't lead your own life. You can't do it. And that's not a mean thing. That's a great thing because if you're the one trying to direct and edit your own life, you can't see it all. And we see this example in the book of Job where Job is so stressed out and struggling and he finally says, God, show me what I'm missing. And so God does. He comes down and he shows him everything happening in the world. He says, you want to try to manage this? You want to try to put this together? If you haven't read the book of Job, Bruce Almighty, right? When he gets the first email of all the prayers and then like he finishes all of them, presses refresh, and they're all back again. It's a good thing that we get to be different characters in our story and we need to own the fact that God's making the cuts necessary. God's making the cuts. And that means that the, you, your highlight may be the extra standing on the corner reading the newspaper because the part where you were the main hero and you were standing giving that dialogue that you thought was so good, God left on the cutting room floor. And it's up to us to say, God, I don't understand it, I don't like it, but I trust you and I trust your ability. It's the way he designed us to do it. So in that moments of pain and suffering, we need to remember that God is good. And if God can take you from where you have been to where you are right now, don't lose hope that the editor is still making cuts. And he's making it to make a masterpiece that you may never see on this side of eternity. And guess what? I'd much rather see the final film than get the sneak peeks in the trailers. Much rather. All right, y'all ready for the reels? That was a lot, ready for the reels. All right. This is the R-E-A-L. These are the things, these are just very simple things that if you add these to your life, it will help you keep in a concept that God is good and Satan will continue to use this world to use our own decisions and use our own pride and all the different things we struggle with to trip us up, right? It's not God tripping us up. It is Satan using the weakness inside of us. So here's the real. Your mindset matters. Your mindset, it matters. My grandmother used to say when I was younger that there was a Kant Carson right? And that was, my, that was my answer to everything, y'all. And it wasn't just like easy stuff too. So it'd be like, can you do the, Carson, you do the laundry. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't. And I'd like, like just walk away. 
And they'd be like, hey, Carson, you need to, you know, you really should talk more in class. I think if you give the kids a chance, they'll, they'll really like you. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't do it. Let's walk away. And the other things, like, hey, man, if you just, Carson, if you just, if, if you just, if you just believe that, you know, if you could just step out and trust God just a little bit more, I promise you, you will see something. You can, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't. Because I was so afraid of what happens if I get hurt? What happens if people hurt me again? What happens if that person that said they were really my friend tricks me? And this is what we do, whether it's church hurt, where someone told us one thing we didn't agree with at one point in our life, or it's a decision we make in our own life that somehow defines us, or that critic we just can't turn off, that becomes our attitude and our focus to the way that we look at the world. We become so obsessed with trying to find it. We are the person that could be in the middle of the mountaintop looking at all of the glories of God and go, it's all right. You know, we're going to have to come down, right? We're going to have to go back down in that valley. I know it's coming. We are those people. And it's not just the, 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 the thing inside of us. It destroys and rots our spiritual life, but it also hurts us physically. Check this out. A cheerful disposition is good for your health. Gloom and doom leave you bone tired. I have yet to, met, to meet somebody, yet to meet somebody who has a negative self-worth and a negative point of view to where they only look for the negative things and they can't get their mind focused back on what God has done and they do not have some type of physical hurting ailment. There is a real scientific and spiritual connection to the fact that if you are run by anxiety, fear, stress, anger, bitterness, that it will toxify not just your spirit, but it will break your body. It will break you down. Because God doesn't want you to try to do this and be in this can't attitude because if he got you to where you are, he's going to get you to where you're going to go. And he just wants you to remember him in those times when you're struggling. Shift your perspective to see the promise that God has made to you. Shift your perspective. And it's super easy. You can do this in a simple way, right? First thing, get in a group here at South Point. Get with people that will look at you when you were like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it, I can't, I can't. And you're like ready to just cash it all in and say I'm out. Get with people that will look at you and say, no, 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 don't give up. We all want to quit right now. Don't do it. Keep going. Don't lose the faith. Don't lose the faith. The next thing, and I think this is the continual phrase that's been in every one of these messages, get into God's word. Get into God's word because the problem is for so many, but we have zero excuses, y'all. Like 100 years ago, maybe they had a few excuses. 50 years ago, a little bit more excuses. We ain't got nothing. On the same device that you found your chicken tortellini recipe, you can be diving into the word of God, and you can find something that's not just going to fill your stomach. It's going to fill your soul. So put it in the easy-bake oven of your mind and your spirit and share it with others. Try to give yourself a chance to be successful by getting into his word. And lastly, praise him in everything, everything, good, bad, and the horrifying, because I can promise you, you can't see what God is doing in your life. You never will. In some moments, you will be so confused, but at some point, it will make sense to him, and you will get it. It won't make sense. It, won't, it, will, it will just be a light bulb moment. Be, oh, okay, cool. I see now. And you'll think, oh God, we could, have, we could have made the story go this way. We didn't have to go a mile and a half out of the direction. Yes, you did. Because that was God's will for you. And he wants you to grow in him in every single moment. Number two, follow the script and stop improvising. Follow the script and stop improvising. 
When I was in theater, man, every time we would do, we'd do a line, we'd do a take, right? We'd be done. Even in the 48-hour film festival, we'd do this. And I'd stand there out of breath because I wasn't in shape. I am in shape. And I'd be just happy and ready. And I'd look at the director, and the director would go, Carson, yeah, yes, sir. Did you get a script? Yes, sir, I did. Did you read the lines? Yeah, yes, sir, I did. Then why did you follow them? I, I thought mine were better. Oh, you thought yours were better than the person that's had this story stay forever. You think and we think that our way of improvising life will be the solution that God has not yet seen. And it will not lead you to him. Every time you kick God out of the editing room, every single time you think you're the director and you've got a better dialogue than what God says, you will never see the true, full version of your life. You will only see the bootleg copies. Check this out. Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20. This is Moses, right? This is how far back. We can go all the way back to Old Testament. Moses' last conversation with his friends, his family. They're about to go into the promised land. Moses is not going with them. Today I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life. Everybody say life. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. It's not about how much people you can get to follow you on Instagram. It's not about the blue check mark that you're chasing. It's not about how you can inspire somebody with God's word. It's not about how you can sing better than everybody. It's not about the platforms and the stages you stand on. It is about you and yourself taking every single day and saying, God, I'm loving you, I'm standing firm on you, and I am trusting your plan for my life, regardless of where that takes me. Even if that means I'm going to hurt for a while, I trust you. Even if that means there's going to be suffering, I trust you. I trust you. Stop trying to improvise. Because the more that we improvise and the more that we try to figure this thing out, the harder it gets for us. And if we all just take a minute, we just think, like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, no. It, it's just been hard. You think any of our decision-making, I'm right there with you. Remember, I was, like, trying to get a five in middle school. We try to grab hold of what God has for us because we think it's better. So stop improvising. Let God do his job. And I promise you, it may not make sense, but it will lead you closer to him every single time. All right. Number three, heaven is our home. Heaven is our home. I think for a lot of us, this is the thing that we say. Can we say it tongue in cheek? Like, oh yeah. And then when we're faced with the reality of that statement and what it carries and what it means in our faith, we, we get really anxious, we get really scared. When my grandfather was in the hospital, we, we didn't know what was wrong, we didn't know what was going on, and we had this, you know, we all were praying, we'd been praying for six, seven months that he would get better, and we just thought this was a routine checkup, right? Just something simple, easy, right? He'll be out, he'll be back to his own self in no time, and while he was there, he was progressing. And, and things were getting better and things were, were looking like they were working out. And then as quickly as things got better, he descended and he was gone. And we were left with questions, we were left with frustrations, with anger. We were left with so many people. And in that moment, we, we asked, 
God, you're so good. We, we put our prayers before you. We put our petitions before you. We, we ask for you to do this. And, and it says that you will do things for those that put that petition before you, God. We, we believe in you. And yet this prayer did not work. And it's in that moment that we have to remember that the prayers that we put forward happen on God's time. And that means the prayer may not be answered in this life. I'm not gonna stand up here and say that the words I can say to you and the, 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 the things I could express for anybody that has prayed with that spouse and they succumbed to cancer. For the, for the parents that prayed and prayed for prodigals to come home and never did. For you guys that have been just struggling with addictions that you can't seem to break. I am not gonna stand up here and tell you that this simple phrase of heaven is our home would be enough, but it, the faith in what God says heaven is will always be enough for us. There is a beauty and a, and a perfectness in the fact that God gave us this wonderful planet to exist and sharpen our love for him, but we're just in a dress rehearsal for the life we're gonna have in heaven. And if this is all life has to offer, guys, then there's no reason to put as much weight and stock into who Jesus is. But why would God ask his son, why would his son take the chance to love us enough to say, I'm gonna change it all? Our faith in the fact that even if the prayers aren't answered here, God answers them. It just wasn't the way we thought the film was gonna go. There's this, this verse in Hebrews 11, and we're gonna read it, but this whole chapter is so beautiful because it talks about all these fathers and heroes of the faith, these people that, that kept the faith, they kept believing, even when they, they couldn't have children, even when they, they saw total destruction, even when they were under oppression, even when they were, they were laughed and mocked for how they dressed, all these people that stood firm and faithful to who God was. It talks about these major and minor prophets and all these disciples and these people that, that led the way with not giving up. But then there's the end of the chapter. And the end of the chapter is, I think, the most important thing because it reminds us that even if you don't see it here, God's got something greater. Check this out. Hebrews 11, 38 to 39. These were the true heroes, commended for their faith, yet they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised to them. They wandered the earth, living in the desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, and in holes of the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them not realizing who they were. That prayer you're praying may not be answered in this life, but I promise you Jesus is there saying, you know what? This world's not good enough for the story you're gonna leave. You're coming all the way home. You're getting an express ticket. Let's go, come on. Because this is the issue with us. We so badly want the prayer answered and we wanna see it here. But if the prayer is answered that your prodigal comes home and the homecoming is heaven, that's the answered prayer. If the person you want healed can't get it here, but they're to a place with no pain, no suffering, and they're in the embracement of Jesus Christ, that is the answered prayer. That's it. And it's not gonna move the sting away, it's not gonna remove the hole in the heart, but it will give you an ability to say, God, I trust you. I have faith that you're gonna answer this on your timing. They were not worthy. You think about that? They are not worthy of this place. I think of that, of that sinner that stood on the cross with Jesus. You will be with me in paradise. Think about that. Had no reason to be there, but you're coming with me. When we sing that song about that homecoming, it's not just coming home here, because I'd much rather know that my grandfather is sound asleep here. 
but he is jumping for joy in heaven. I'd much rather know that that child that you've been praying for to come home may never run back to the house and you may end your life sitting on the doorstep as that parent watching, but you're gonna see him again. I, I, I would love to tell you that if you can give God this hope and this faith and believe, it will give you the peace and it's up to you to grab it. It really is. In the midst of chaos, call out to the creator and don't lose hope. You may not see the answered prayer here, but you will see the answered prayer in heaven. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep loving on them in your own life. Keep going. Don't quit. Don't quit. I pray with you guys. Father, I love you. I thank you that you give us a promise of heaven. I thank you that through all of life's ups and downs, you consistently show us the way that we need to follow. So God, move us out of the way. Let us start trusting you. Let us start having faith in you. Let us believe that even when we don't see the things fulfilled on this earth, small or big, we believe that they, we will see the fulfillment in heaven. That we believe that there are those that just, they, this, this place wasn't worthy for them. But you're ready to welcome them arms open. God, and there's so many here that have never experienced that homecoming. They don't even know what it's like to have somewhere to go home. They've been wandering out in the wilderness and they just want someone to know that they miss them. And God, God, you miss them. You call out to them in every aspect of their life. You want them to know that they are not alone in this life. And so if that's you this morning, if you, you just, you just want to know someone loves you, I'm not going to ask you to, to stand up and ask you to come forward. I don't want you to do that. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you because God loves you. He wants you to know that he will always be there for you. He will continually run after you through everything in life because you mean that much to him. If that's you and you want to know that experience, that experience, just raise your hand for me. Just raise your hand. One, two, three. You're not alone. Four, five. Six, come on, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Come on, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. God, I pray for the 16 people. I thank you that you have shown them a way home. God, with the confession of their heart and the belief in their minds and spirit, let them be saved. Come into their life. Send people that will love them, that will care for them, that will say every single day, you don't have to have it all figured out because God is so good. He will bring great things through you. Trust him and trust his spirit in your life. God, thank you. Thank you that you still provide ways every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me this morning. If you are one of those 16 people that made a decision for Christ, there is an awesome book down front called Fresh Start. I encourage you to pick it up. Come down and grab it after the service. It is, it is a great way to start your next step with Jesus. If you need prayer for anything, there are people down front of the crosses and up here on the, on the screen, there's a QR code. You can scan that and someone will reach out to you. If you guys will stand with me, we'll say the benediction and we will jet on out of here. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You're our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.